politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, all of it, and everything that matters in between here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Wednesday, October 25th, and are things looking up for once? We do have white smoke. There will likely be a speaker by the time you hear this. If not, then something really is wrong. But for once, everyone's united. From the far left to the far right of the GOP House Conference, they are behind four-term Congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana, very red district bordering Texas. What does it mean for us? Well, it means what we want to make of it. Like everything, there is a potential pitfall and a potential opportunity Let's utilize the opportunity and avoid the pitfall. I've avoided talking about the speaker's race just because it's just been a dumpster fire. Um, I still believe there are potentially ways we could actually go backwards strategically, but there are definitely benefits in the human being of Mike Johnson. And I want to get into that kind of my mixed analysis. Then we'll have a positive analysis if we can get uh, Congressman Dan Bishop on the show who is strongly supporting Mike Johnson. But what's what's important is that we at least get leadership that for once shares our values. This has been a big problem with the conservative movement really for years in that we just don't share each other's values. We espouse one thing and live another life. If you actually believe in your values, you will have the focus and motivation to pursue the strategies and outcomes that will better your life in along the lines of the principles you say you believe in. So one of the things we've been talking about this week is obviously we are trying to lead by example here at The Blaze where we got rid of all the advertisements that make us reliant on Google. And also some of those ads were just horrendous anyway. And we're going the subscription model. Now, I know a lot of people are like, look, you know, Daniel, if, you, if you're for the truth, then we should want to get everything out for free. The problem is it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Uh, there's no way unless you have a not-for-profit model and you have donors, there just really is no way to make that work. Now, this show is run on our great advertisers we have, so that is never going to be behind a paywall I did say yesterday some of my columns will not be behind it, but now I'm hearing maybe otherwise. But here's the thing. you know, One is that you're censored by Google. The other is you're independent. Well, but then it costs money for people. If you sign up now at The Blaze, it's 3 bucks a month if you sign up for a full year. It comes out to $3 a month for the entire content. Not just my content, but everyone's content. Written content that is $3 a month. For the Blaze Print website, that's the cost of a coffee. I mean, you know, especially with inflation, that is the thing. So obviously, you you, you want to make things available, but I would say it's for a minimal cost. You could keep this organization afloat, and that's the thing. We have to live our values, and that's what we're going to do here at the Blaze. And, and by the way, as just a preface to this, and, and to transition into the speaker's race or now the speak the new speaker designate and what that means and where we go from there i just i'd be remiss to say 
This actually is a better transition than I even thought it was. The Italian prime minister, she was much vaunted as this right-wing leader. Uh, you always hear the right-wing one election in this European country, and then nothing changes. You know, the policies don't change. They have the same immigration. I don't see Italy doing anything to block anything. It turns out that she had a boyfriend for 10 years and had a kid with him, but wasn't married. And then just called it quits after the boyfriend publicly said he had a threesome sort of relationship. Now, I don't blame her for what the boyfriend did, but what is she doing having a boyfriend and a kid with a boyfriend unmarried? So, I mean, th this is the point. We've, we've, we've reached a point where most right-wing leaders don't live a life that is either Christian or conservative or, or both, and therein lies the problem. So, tying into the speaker, who is Mike Johnson? To be honest, I've only known him a little bit. I don't know much about him. This was obviously a surprise. It's not worth redressing, readdressing, and replaying everything that got us to this point. But there's two things. There's judging someone as an individual, both as a person and as a voting record, as a conservative or not conservative, and then as a strategic choice for speaker. So in terms of the individual, there's no doubt that it's an upgrade from McCarthy and really anything we've ever had. He's not quite a Freedom Caucus guy, but he's from the right end of the Republican Study Committee. He was a former chairman of it. And he is definitely a very strong social conservative. He's one of these social conservative lawyers that have has really fought in the legal realm for religious liberty. Um, he definitely lives the life of a social conservative, has a strong family, five children, you know, no games like we have with uh, certain other leaders, which clearly were engaging in extracurricular activities, and you'd be lucky if it was heterosexual. So he definitely is, you know, certainly lives the life of a conservative, has the values, is aligned with our beliefs, in the abstract at least, Um you know, he beat out Byron Donald's 128 to 29. The 29 was likely from the Freedom Caucus members who wanted Byron, understandably so. Um, the question now is if we're going to have more clout over him to strategically do what we want than we likely would have had over McCarthy with that final leg of the budget fight. And I can't answer that yet, but our job is to make it happen. So he's a very decent guy. It seems like everyone likes him. Truly remarkable. Uh, he was kind of low-key. One of the few people to ever gain the speakership never having wanted it, and it was just by accident. Not very ambitious at a personal level, which is, is a nice thing. He was the conference vice chair, which is, depending on how you grade it, maybe the number seven position in leadership. Uh, no one pays attention to that. And he really has accolades from everyone. Looks like he's going to get full support. But there still is question that given that he is a person regarded as a man of the right, how much is the left wing of the caucus going to extract from him in order to support him? So that is a concern I do have. Um, as far as his voting record, look. He's the type of guy that clearly believes in what we believe in. But he's not one of those top 20, 30 Freedom Caucus guys that will fight leadership 
and will take the votes. You know, when you want the 20 to 40 guys that vote no on something, Mike Johnson's not one of those guys. If he, if it's one of the 80 to 100 voting no, he will be one of those guys. So that's kind of where he is. Um, you know, he, he had a kind of – we had him at a 74 Liberty score back a few years ago. The Liberty score, it's a long story, has not been updated. We have tech problems, so it's kind of defunct. So I wouldn't use it for anything past 2022. He has gotten better. Um, he's generally voted the right way, but he did vote for the debt ceiling increase. He did vote for that, I guess, maybe because he was vice chairman and he felt the need to go along with it. So on the one hand, he's definitely an upgrade, great guy. On the other hand, I always had a concern of getting someone who's kind of conservative, but not a real, real fighter, because it if you get that guy as an individual, certainly it's better than McCarthy. You get that guy strategically as speaker, would it possibly be a reverse McCarthy? Where, on the one hand, he's not quite one of us, but on the other hand, he is regarded as one of us and feels the need to to give concessions to the rhinos, but then our guys feel like they need to really give him a lot of rope. So I could tell you, if we fail in getting him focused on the right things, I could tell you we're going to have zero leverage over him because he's going to have a huge honeymoon. Everyone just wants to end this, and rightfully so, which is why I was always against doing it at this juncture um, because I felt we were going to come out of it with the rhinos having the leverage over our guy in the way we had leverage over McCarthy in January. Because they would have had the grievance. They were the aggrieved party that we kind of had Matt Gates do this for nothing but personality. Never forget that Matt was willing, willing to go along with anyone. Um, but on the other hand, I don't view him as much of a conduit for Trump as Jordan. Um, I think he has a great image for our party and our movement. He's just a terrific human being. He's a great guy. Great social conservative, which we've never had. But does that translate to strategically fighting on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter? Not necessarily. And that's what we have to watch out for and make happen. So ultimately, more than this being about speaker, it's about where you're headed and only one thing is going to matter and that is the budget fight. And that's what we need to set the table with immediately right off the bat. Um, first, our sponsor today is our friends at Better Spectacles. I just traveled eight hours uh, driving solo, mainly at night, and, and typically it's terrible. You got rain, the oncoming lights. It seems like these car lights are getting brighter and brighter. You got halos. You get all the sorts of things that make it difficult to see. Um, with better spectacles, the technology and the lenses take into consideration that your pupils are going to enlarge and they accommodate it for you. On top of that, they have anti-glare coating, which is free for my listeners, um, that allow you to really you know, drive at night uh, much better. It's, I've, I've never driven at night with, with better glasses. Uh, also, um, the frames are great as well. And... Rodenstock puts in a minimum of 130 hours of engineering in each frame. Most are titanium that will never break unless you like run a truck over it or something like that. They're timeless, classy frames like mine. Um, 
they are really terrific. My wife, my oldest son have it as well. So go over to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment today to get the frames and the lenses 61% off. I'm telling you, they will be the best lenses you ever had. And again, it's America's only conservative eyewear company that I know of all about living and sharing our values at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So again, um, I, I think there is value to having a guy who is the highest ranking Republican at this point who will share our values better than we've ever had. With that said, strategically, he hasn't shown that he's going to really, really fight on the budget. We need to see that. And that's what we need to demand. The Freedom Caucus needs to unite behind a proposition that because of this fight, they might not have time to pass the remainder of the, I, I guess there are nine more appropriation bills uh, with our values and the spending cuts by November 17th midnight or November 18th in the morning. So we need to lay out clear markers what we're open to and what we're not, okay? What we're open to is having some degree of a CR for another few weeks to finish all the probes bills, but what we're not open towards is giving a clean CR. And it has to have changes, and the number one thing has to be the border. It is the most unifying, realistic thing to get the conference behind a shutdown. This is the most important thing. I don't see, it doesn't matter the liberty score or the voting record of the speaker in a vacuum. You know, like I said, it matters in terms of image and the way he conducts himself, which is terrific. But Mike Johnson, what is his desire and ability to unify the conference behind a shutdown fight on as many of the issues that matter? And that begins with the border fight. And that requires not throwing money, not even the border wall or infrastructure or assets. It is, number one, banning all forms of catch and release and parole and temporary protected status. All of that CBP1 app, all of that needs to be banned and prohibited. And number two, more importantly, states need to be given, this is what we need to hold out for and and be willing to have a shutdown fight over it. States have the right to deport. States have the right to enforce, to cut off benefits, to imprison, to do anything that the federal government has the right to do on immigration, period. Starting with Josh Hawley's bill. That is the punchline. Everything else is BS. Now there's the spending levels, there's the weaponization, there's all the other things, the, the military, social engineering, the training stuff. You know, in each appropriation bill... The Green New Deal. But that is really, I think, the number one, even if it's not the number one issue, it's the most likely to unify everyone, and that's what we got to do. We have the levers of of influence we have, and we just got to use it and leave the rest to God. There's now new information out at a time like this when you watch these Islamic hyenas Rampage through our streets shouting Islamo-Nazi genocidal slogans of death to the Jews. We now know that just the number of SIAs, these are special um, interest aliens from Muslim countries that have been caught over the last two years at our border. 
30,830 from Turkey. Turkey is a massive enemy, Muslim Brotherhood headquarters. Again, Turkey, Iran, and Qatar are the worst countries at a governmental level. 30,000, almost 31,000 from Turkey that we caught. How many did we not catch? Definitely more than 30,000. 13,624 from Uzbekistan. 15,594 from Maritoana. Okay, that's that the West African Islamic country. 1613 from Pakistan. 3,153 from Egypt. 164 from Lebanon, 6386 from Afghanistan, 123 from Iraq, 659 from Iran, 139 from Yemen, and 538 from Syria. Those are just kind of the raw numbers we have from a few of those, but if you take all the SIA countries, which are about 35 or so, over the last, um, from well, from August 2022 to, no, October 2022 to August 2023, about 75,000 SIAs have crossed illegally that we know of. What has happened to them? Most of them have been released into the country. 75,000. And that means likely 200,000 gotaways. Okay? That is a big deal, and you could totally win a shutdown fight over that. But now there's new records released from the Center for Immigration Studies, courtesy of our buddy uh, Todd Benzman's FOIA request. We talked about the CBP-1 app where Biden is either flying people in or bringing them to land ports and paroling them, mainly from Cuba, Venezuela, Guatemala, those type of countries, Haiti. And that's bad enough. But they found that using this program, the, the administration has authorized the paroles of 7,332 7, individuals from SIA countries, roughly 24 of the 35 U.S.-designated countries, including a smattering from Lebanon, Iran, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. But 3,852 from Kyrgyzstan? 1843 from Uzbekistan. I'm telling you, those are countries where the reason they're coming is because we're getting the persecuted Muslims. What does a persecuted Muslim mean? The governments persecute them for being a bunch of hyenas. They don't want Islamic radicals, even though they're officially Muslim countries, but they're more kind of former Soviet throwbacks. And we're getting the worst. I'm telling you, the Uzbekis. That's the Boston Bombers. We've had a number of them. Over 95% of the applications from SIA countries have been approved. This is what we are turning our country into. I just want you to understand the harbinger of what a death of a country looks like. You look at the ratio of Jews versus Muslims in a country, and we are rapidly approaching the point where we're going to have as many Muslims as we have Jews in this country. I want you to understand where Europe is at just to conceptualize this. Belgium has about 30,000 Jews, but about 782,000 Muslims. France has a relatively large Jewish population that's dwindling, 483,000 Jews, but 5.7 million Muslims. Germany has only 119,000 Jews, 5.6 million Muslims. 
Italy, tiny Jewish population, 28,400. 1.5 million Muslims. That's a lot for a country that size. Netherlands, 30,000 Jews, 914,000 Muslims. Norway, just 1,200 Jews in the entire country, 194,000 Muslims. Sweden, 15,000 Jews, 451,000 Muslims. Spain, just 12,000 Jews, 1 million Muslims. Great Britain, 292,000 Jews. That's not a lot for a country that size. Nearly 3 million Muslims. Do we want America to, be, to become like that? Because that's where we're at if we don't shut this down today. Our next sponsor today, as we work on self-defense, you're going to have to put a lot of rounds down range, and that requires cleaning your gun. Make sure your gun is in top-notch shape, top shape by cleaning it with our friends at Barrel Buddy. Sometimes the best thing to do is to jam a round peg into a round hole. And it's designed just for that. Barrel Buddy provides 360-degree contact, um, and it, it compresses into the bore of the barrel, pushes into the rifling. It's, it's you know, because the, the, the patches that you use are two-dimensional. They don't work well. It's hard to get in there, hard to clean. It's dirty. It leaves lint and different fibers and threads. Um, they're difficult to handle. They have a lot of drip and splatter with the solvent and the oils. So here you just run one through with the solvent, run another one through to buff it clean, and then you could lube it as well. You get 50 of these little cartridges for just 50 bucks by going to BarrelBuddy.com today. BarrelBuddy.com today. Never let your gun go dirty again. So, again, I'm just waiting on the congressman here to call in. But before we go back to, to the vision of the speaker, again, we're talking about the most important thing is to make it very clear that we will not fund DHS until all parole is shut down. And I do think we need to make Holly's bill a part of it. And I'll talk about that more in the coming days. But I just want to get back to Todd Benzman's piece at Center for Immigration Studies J just to understand the sort of vetting we're doing of these people. Eight months after Mexico's first Muslim-only immigrant shelter opened in Tijuana in April 2022. I didn't even know about that. Todd is awesome. He researches this stuff. He's He spoke to the guy there. So Mexico opened basically a Muslim. I mean, that's how many are coming over. This is no longer back in the day where it's like a few here, a few there. We are allowing in, you know, probably over the last few years, several hundred thousand Muslims. Through the border. So they opened this up for the express purpose of helping SIAs apply for CBP-1 app appointments for parole. So they know how to specialize in getting them through the little vetting we have. Its director told me that no American law enforcement or intelligence officer had ever made contact about the possibility of vetting her visitors for terrorism. So you have a whole center that Mexico developed. You'd think our agencies would go down there. No. When I asked one active duty intel officer for DHS working on transnational crime issues such as human smuggling, if the agency was interested in the shelter, the officer quickly answered, no, we are not. Asked why, the officer responded that the shelter's work was regarded as humanitarian and therefore immune from U.S. law enforcement interests. By the way, humanitarian is always the word for slaughter. It's an Orwellian word. Peace is war. War is peace. It's the same word used for the border invasion, same word used for the Gaza civilians, a.k.a. hamstringing Israel and funding Hamas. Um, 
that is no longer within the scope of our criminal investigations, the officer said, of SIAs moving through the Mexico shelter and overland ports with CBP-1 app appointments. Because they are doing humanitarian work, they get to operate basically with impunity. And by the way, ju- just, just so you know, there's nothing to vet. They just run them through databases. Here's the deal. I got news for you. Most of your radical nutcases coming from Uzbekistan or something like that, they don't have a criminal record in their countries because their countries don't tolerate crime. It's that they're coming with genocidal jihadist beliefs. Once in a while, we will. We, we, we actually have caught people, plenty of people, several hundred, even on the terror watch list. And that's, that's how insane the border is. But most are not. See, at least like some of the MS-13 guys or whatever, some of these like violent punks from Latin America theoretically might be on some databases, although we don't have cooperation with countries like Haiti, Cuba, and Nicaragua, and certainly Venezuela, which is where most of them are coming from. So that also, but, but some of them like Guatemala or El Salvador has a better leader now from El Salvador. We might legitimately have, oh, you know, yeah, this guy's a gangbanger. But you're not going to catch, like, he's an Islamic nutcase from Uzbekistan. Todd goes on to note that the former Soviet Union nations, like uh, the Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, they're a rough neighborhood. Among the groups operating in these three countries are the Islamic Jihad Union, the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, and the ISIS uh, Khorasan. But there are many other groups operating in the region, too such as the Islamic Renaissance Party of Tajikistan, various ISIS-affiliated groups that the government has suppressed, according to the U.S. State Department's 2021 country report on terrorism for Tajikistan. The same report notes that terrorist groups' members move thoroughly, move throughout the, the most unguarded borders of these countries, with Tajikistan asserting that thousands of militants come and go from neighboring Afghanistan. Remember that. The fall, the collapse of Afghanistan goes right into Tajikistan. And we have allowed thousands to apply through the front door. So this is really, really dark. It's one indication of public sentiment toward Islamic extremist ideology in the Kyrgyzstan Republic. An estimated 850 of its citizens reported reportedly joined ISIS between 2013 and 2015. Regional scholars insist the real number is higher. Uzbekistan also has figured prominently in global counterterrorism efforts in part because the internationally designated terrorist organization known as the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan had its regional and global reach and regularly conducts attacks. Extremists from Uzbekistan have been implicated in U.S. attacks and plots too. And obviously we saw that most prominently with the Boston bombers. And uh, that's our border. If we cannot get a leader to articulate a border fight on this issue. Now we're done. So again, that is the number one issue. I don't want to hear any like, oh, we have to avoid a shutdown. No, we have to fund our priorities and defund the evil priorities. And we will do that and we will not move from those bills. That's what I want to hear from Speaker-designate Mike Johnson. That's what the Freedom Caucus should demand from him, and they need to unite behind a unified set of red lines. Again, not be not be too dogmatic on process, but on policy outcomes. So if 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 he agrees to pass our stuff, 
And, you know, for example, we come to November 17th uh, with having passed, you know, eight of the 12 uh, appropriation bills with with the majority of things we want. And then you reach the government funding deadline. And he's like, look, I want to show that the House is going to pass something to jam the Senate while we finish the other bills. And then we're going to never pass another CR beyond that. But this CR will contain the vital things on the border. Again, we could work out what it, what it means. And then we're going to stand behind that and not back down. And we're going to message into it, give him that leeway. But not leeway of, oh, you know, we'll pass, pass clean CRs or, you know, let's wait till next year. That's what it's all about. I don't want to hear about process and, you know, who's brought in and constituent services and the way you're going to run the Capitol building, you know, all these things. That is the only thing that matters. So, again, you could have a scenario where you could have a guy with a more liberal voting record who will give us more of what we want, a guy with a more conservative record who not only won't give us what we want, but our guys will feel they need to give him more rope. So that's that's just what we have to watch with. I don't have indications either way. He's going to get a honeymoon. It's fine. I'm glad people are united. We got to get the show on the road. And we need something. We can't wait until 2025, which, you know, if DeSantis doesn't pull out that primary, I don't think Trump's going to pull out a general election. And even if he does, uh, you know, we do have a track record that's pretty pretty bad on these issues. But we cannot afford month after month of hundreds of thousands of people pouring over, including many of these hyenas from the Middle East. It's got to stop. And it's got to stop now. I just want to throw out one thing before we bring on the congressman. I want to play a quick clip from this guy, Julius Malima, the leader of South Africa's third largest party, the EFF. The, the, these are the type of sentiments, because this is not even an Islamic country. This is South Africa. It's more of a BLM sentiment. This is a type of sentiment that is more pervasive outside of America than in America, and it's too pervasive in America. Take a listen here. Nothing wrong, Hamas did. This fog tongues and people speaking in parables, and we don't know what they are hearing, what they are saying, it's wrong. When you are oppressed, the only option you have is to fight. And that's what Hamas is doing. They are fighting for their freedom. Mandela did the same thing, took up the guns and fought for the freedom of the people of South Africa. When you are oppressed, you only have one option. Confront the enemy and shoot to kill. Okay, folks. So you heard that Hamas did nothing wrong. When you're oppressed, you fight your enemy and you shoot to kill. That's the type of mentality we are bringing into this country in droves. This anti-colonialism, anti-white sentiment. By the way, it's no different than anti-white sentiment. The, the, the Jew hatred ties in perfectly. It ties in perfectly. There's a handful of stupid reactionary retards on the right that claim to be against the genocide against whites and very into that type of stuff. And some of them themselves are downright white nationalists, but then somehow their anti-Semitism is so strong, they're willing to side with people they say they hate just to own the Jews, which is weird. 
that whole Nick Fuentes crowd that some losers are saddling up to. But be it as it may, they view Jews as the ultimate white in the sense of, oh, they control everything and all of our grievances are their fault. And as such, we, we, we could kill in the most gruesome ways to uh, exact re- retribution. That, that's BLM Antifa. That's, that's uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. And, um, and that sort of mentality is very pervasive in third world countries, certainly Islamic countries, but as you could see, even in some of these African countries and Latin American countries as well, this liberation theology that a lot of the Latin American countries subscribe to is very, very problematic. But I want to get back to the speaker's race with Congressman Bishop. So folks, all is well that ends well. And the question is, did or did not the speaker's fight ultimately end well? Um, I gave my view on it that we could say there are potential opportunities and pitfalls, but our job is to make sure we avoid the pitfalls and actualize all the opportunities that a potential speakership of Mike Johnson brings. Obviously, the most important thing is the budget, and probably the most important item to fight over is the border at this point, although there are several other close ones. But I want to get... Uh, another perspective, adjacent perspective, from one of the individuals who was really instrumental in starting this precedent that we don't have to just take the next in line, that we can do surgery and wait for something much better, start in January, took a detour, and now here we are with a kind of an unknown new name, what do we know about Mike Johnson? With us today is Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina's 8th District, also running for North Carolina Attorney General. Very important race there. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thank you, Daniel. I'm glad to be with you, and it's uh, been a fascinating several days. I'm happy to have a chance to talk with you about it. Sure. So, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to know who is Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Most people don't know what the conference vice chair is, so they've obviously never heard of him. What are your initial thoughts of, um, you know, both uh, Mike as a person, but then also as a strategic choice for speaker? You know, Daniel, the first thought that occurs to share is that this process that has had uh, Republican voters, particularly maybe the whole country, sort of scratching their head and at times maybe dismayed uh, about how Republicans can't get it together. It, it appears at this moment that Mike has the sport, will be elected speaker today. Um, he represents something. There was this process, as torturous as it has been, it was almost i mean it it did it felt like the hand of god as the as the dam broke last evening the efforts of some the maneuvering to try to scuttle candidates as they were coming forward one by one uh effort last minute you know sort of effort to bring back kevin mccarthy at the last minute the folks who were adjacent to that effort all the all the amazing things that happened in the swamp this guy, Mike Johnson, it's impossible not to like Mike Johnson. He's a tremendously likable guy, self-effacing, humble, convicted. I would say this. He is, uh, you might argue about New Gingrich and how exactly you put New Gingrich. I would say that Mike Johnson is the first bona fide conservative to be elected 
Speaker of the House, if indeed he receives the nod at wow. noon. And in the long term— And I agree with you, and by you the way, get with the, that, because just before we get into just comparing to Newt Gingrich, part of being a conservative is—and I hate to say it, but I don't hate to say it— is living the life of a conservative, and I am sick and tired of people representing us that do not live our values. That is not the way you're going to project our image to the country by having one adulterer after another, one philanderer after another. So to me, that that you know weighs heavily in itself. Well said. And Mike Johnson is a godly man. He is is uh, just a, a decent person. He is self-effacing and humble. He w- he made points about that. He captured what the significance is of this is in a way when he summed up last night uh, in, in a way that was constructive and healing for this group of large group, 221 members right now who are at each, at each other's throats. Uh, but as a, but you're asking me, and, and it's the most important question, of course, it, when you step away sort of from those fuzzy generalities, what is it going to mean? And I would suggest to you that it's important to think what it's going to mean, both short term and longer term. And so you asked about short term. Um, I, I, all of the events that have developed are water under the bridge. We've got to recognize where we are. So, you know, you've had people like me at points in time. I said, I'm not going to support any CRs or something that people don't want to use the term CR continuing resolution anymore. They want to talk about stop gap funding measures. Well, look, we're, we're past all the opportunities there. There's going to have to be a, a CR of some kind, but he's got the right, you know, we sort of, uh, I think focused on the things that have to happen in conjunction with that CR. There needs to be a yes. fight over controlling the border uh, there. And there, and everyone who's been, who's gotten close has said, we need to, we need to keep our shoulder to the wheel and put the rest of these appropriations bills through uh, so that we're not just doing the Omni. And they continue to say we're not going to have an Omni. We may have a stopgap into January so that we can keep trying to conference, pre-conference uh, this, the uh, the uh, 12 bills with the Senate. So I, we'll see how that plays out. I think it's going to have to, you know, we're going to have to see it develop. Mike Johnson being the, what, fifth candidate up? Uh, had less time to uh, explain a plan, but the consensus has gotten pretty clear within the Republican conference. I think we know where we'll go. Um, Longer term, I think he could be an exceedingly important figure. I think he could reveal, by the way, uh, Daniel, even to uh, people who are moderates or big fans of Kevin McCarthy, how, how destructive a force Kevin McCarthy has been in the Republican conference. Everybody thinks, oh, he's raised a bunch of money. He's got, we've gotten, uh, you know, we added people when they were losing in the other, in the Senate and lost the White House. But his avarice, his uh, unbridled uh, ambition, shorn of any core ideology or philosophy, and his completely bereft of any commitment to truth that has been damaging to this body of you know, this Republican conference. And I think, Mike Johnson, that you could not have a clearer point of departure or path of departure from that kind of figure mm. than Mike Johnson. Yeah, very humble 
the first person to get the job who didn't want the job. Um, it, it's pretty remarkable watching it. But now, my my listeners who are a little bit skeptic of the GOP conference, so they're going to look at this and say, <laughs> "All right, sure, I get, so I. I get where he's coming <laughs> from. He certainly didn't want it, you know, and he more or less shares their values." But is there a concern now that you have a reverse McCarthy dynamic? So with McCarthy, it was their guy that we kind of held hostage to a certain extent. Johnson's viewed as more our guy. And, you know, we're watching a lot of these guys at the left goalposts of the conference now praise him, say, yeah, it's a good choice. Is there a concern that he's kind of, he's going to be forced to give them concessions and headed forward, meaning he could be a unifying force to get the bad guys behind our probe spills and then having the guts to have potentially a shutdown fight to fight to the death over the future of a republic on things like the border or he could be more someone to unify behind their proposals you know but because he's one of us we give him a little bit more rope understandably so how do we navigate that so i will concede part of that or at least something close to what you're saying but i don't think the one you're identifying is is that salient of a risk for reasons i'll explain um, I do think that that one thing about Mike Johnson, when I said who can not like Mike Johnson, he's a gentle person. He's he, he is he's you've never I've never seen any real strident ambition from him or uh, or or, or uh, you know, he, he's not bare knuckles politician. He's just not. And sometimes bare knuckles uh, is a little needed to move something through here. I mean, one of the things frustrations for different reasons, frustration with McCarthy, he never seemed to have a plan. He never seemed to have a list of things that we damn well were going to do. Um, I think Mike might have a more uh, uh, commitment to the, the philosophy of what we need to accomplish, but might be less or might be more reticent to use hardball tactics to get there. So that's a, that, 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 that that's could exactly translate into a concern. Okay. That, that's a concern. I, I, I will say in the, uh, on the other hand, the, the the risk that uh, a risk that you sort of articulated the one that well Republican or excuse me conservatives are going to feel like we got to keep our mouth shut because he's our guy um, I think that would have been a problem ironically with Jim Jordan yes because uh, because uh, you know Jim's enormous national stature and uh, and and whatever happened <clears throat> particularly if he continued to be teamed up with Kevin McCarthy would have been Hard to get people out there to understand what needed to be done. In in Mike's case, he's very respected. But for example, he's not House Freedom Caucus. Somebody's and and House Freedom Caucus. I've already heard you know comments to this effect. He'll be held to account by House Freedom Caucus yeah. on the on the substance of what we accomplish. And I am, I do strongly believe that he's committed to it philosophically. He's not a opposer Bingo. or a pretender he's he's and genuinely so, a conservative i think we've seen that genuinely a social conservative which is hard to come by in gop leaders probably never had one certainly one that believed it lived it and i appreciate that and i think that in itself has value to 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 send that message of such a genuine family man that this is who we are to the voters i think that's a a welcome departure from some of the leaders we've had at all levels in recent years but again, it's that one thing I saw. He, you know, he voted for the debt ceiling deal, and yeah. I just want to make sure that 
there's a meeting of the minds and just to give you guys some free advice, I think the Freedom Caucus needs to unify behind a set of red lines that, we, you know, the process is not the red line. We can, like you said, you know, if you need to pass another CR while we are, let's say we're up to bill number seven or eight uh, out of the 12 by the time November 17th comes in, you're like, look, we need to show that we're going to jam the Senate with a CR that's defensible, something along the lines of what Chip negotiated, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. The border is central if you want to put in one or two other things, some spending cuts. But, you know, obviously I don't expect him to get I'm, I'm going to put out a list of like 20 things that need to be defunded just to get it out there. You know, we're not going to get everything, but some of the right. things that I think we all know the border is a 90-10 issue at this point with the Hamas stuff and the SIA yep. numbers coming over this new date. I right. mean, it, if we can't unify – to me, what I want from Mike is for him to unify the the kind of Main Street partnership guys behind the proposition of look. We don't agree on everything, but this president is an utter disaster. We at, we're out of time, and we need to find one or two things that we are willing to message to the death. And I think that's what I want from him, you know, because if you can't have a budget fight, we're done until 2025. Right. Uh, I, I think, Daniel, you have it right. I think the the ground is perfectly set for exactly that to occur i think house freedom caucus folks chip roy scott perry uh others will be uh working that exactly as you have stated it there's and i and i think it's it's as it's as good as it can get there are two things to remember that you and i probably covered before but it continues to surprise me and and i'll say this one this way whatever their aspirations are whatever they tell the people about two thirds of this Republican conference does not want to cut a, a penny. <laughs> that, that, that's something to think about. Uh, it's hard to believe because it's it, it. You know, I think eighty or ninety percent of Republican voters want government to be reduced in scope and and its expense reduced, uh, and they know we're on a crash a collision course with a cataclysm. Um, so that. that and the other thing I would say about that situation with the conference, a speaker can't ch change that fundamental thing all by himself. He can have a tremendous impact on it. Yep. And for and, and I do believe that what we undertook in January with the 20 to uh, get a deal out of McCarthy and then try, attempt to force some of that worked. In the end, though, the deal, did, the, fund, the, the substantive part of the deal did not work. The conference could not be made to adopt to adopt that small cut in spending and yeah. bring it into um, into uh, into twelve appropriations bills passed on time and in a professional manner. It, it conference. It, it was more the cosmetic that stuff that was abided by, but the critical things we saw with the debt deal. I I I'm I'm losing track of where we're up to. It's something like two point three trillion additional debt since that was passed at the beginning of June. I mean, the quickest pace ever. Um, let me just end with this. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts, and, and, and I don't mean to put you in a box because there's no easy answer, but we're now at the point where net, this coming year, from what I could see, interest on the debt at the pace of the Treasury yields will likely be somewhere in the ballpark of $1.2 Okay, for a year, interest on the debt. It's been hovering around in more recent years, the past decade, $250 billion. So if you just take the trillion extra from the interest on the debt, okay, 
that we have added, we, from my calculation, if we abolished, not cut, but abolished all non-defense discretionary, okay? Mm. So that would, that would technically mean abolishing the State Department. Um, I don't know if I included VA in it or not, but you get the point. All yeah. of that together is worth about a trillion. So to mm-hmm. get us back to the levels of 2020, which were insane, you know, we, we thought we were, you know, that was pre-COVID, but it was after the Obama-Trump kind of baseline, which is very, very high. To get us back to just that level, we would have to abolish non-defense discretionary spending, which a lot of people here wouldn't mind most of it. But again, <laughs> that degree is not practical. How do we even bend it at this point with the interest payments the way they are? Well, look, I, I, it's a great question, and here's and it's sort of the um, sort of points to the problem here. You get all the guys I was sitting next to an appropriator yesterday, and I was sort of asking. I like to ask these elemental questions about it, and and when you get to talking about that, they think all this, all the you know the the non defense discretionary that we wanted to cut back to pre-COVID levels because they've grown, it's grown so much. And it seemed like a very modest thing to do. The, the conference choked on that basically because of the appropriators mostly. But it, he says, well, that's a rounding error. It's the, it's the entitlement programs. And of course it's true, but that doesn't mean you don't start there because if you're ever going to persuade the American people that adjustments have to be made to entitlements, you're not going to let them look at a profligate and abusive federal bureaucracy growing all, you know, all out of bounds and say that it doesn't matter because the numbers are proportionally less than significant. And, and, the, and the billion and the trillion dollars of interest you decided, you know, it's, it just reinforces the observation that no one can argue with up here. It sounds like doom loop. It <laughs> sounds like, you know, catastrophic on the horizon, no way to avoid it. And, that's always been my assumption. If you can't develop a Republican Party, that will be the instrumentality to respond to that risk and to begin moving the ship away from the iceberg as best you can. Um, the market will do it for us. I mean, the, the events will force it. And you never know what comes after that. The, the likelihood that we preserve even this form of government is pretty remote. That's how authoritarian uh, regimes arise is the failure, you know, is, is catastrophes like that befall a nation and there's no polity that is, that's been prepared to deal with it. So these are grievously, seriously grave issues. And I think the people who are out there, your listeners as educated as they are, perfect can't be the enemy of the good. You still have to do yes. what the art of the possible. And I think for the first time, I feel like We've shed something. I've been sitting in place since I've been up here, and the the head of the, we've, you know, you got to cut the head off the snake, and you got to start something new. And I think Mike Johnson portends that. We'll see how it happens. We both need to be vigilant and patient, and um, and make sure we're making progress and call it out when it doesn't happen. Vigilant and patient. That's definitely true. And I would just add, you're absolutely right. I mean, you guys didn't create this mess. You're in a position uh, to do the right thing. You, you you could only do what you can do. And 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 also, while I don't see us solving the debt problem in a vacuum, the policies are very important too. So when you slash by fifty percent, forty percent, some of these agencies, departments, you know, it's not so much the and I'm forgetting, but you know, the nine billion dollar budget of the EPA 
that's the problem. It's the hundreds of billions it takes out from the economy, the Green New Deal, things like that. we got to shut down the policies um, that we can do, the weaponization, the targeting, uh, the values issues, the border stuff, um, the degradation of our quality of life with, with, again, all the Green New Deal stuff, the funding of Hamas, funding of the PLO, funding of the Leb- Lebanese Armed Forces, the Iran deal. You know, we're, we're not going to balance the budget with that, but these are important policies, and I think that's where we need a sense of direction, commitment. I think you guys have the right balance. Uh, I wish you success on today's vote, and definitely keep us updated. Thank you, Daniel. It's been great to be with you. Always is. Take care. So again, that is Dan Bishop, always a straight shooter. You know, he, he didn't BS. I mean, despite his affinity for... Mike Johnson, personally, he, he, he admitted, we, we don't know yet, and their job at the Freedom Caucus is going to be to sit down with him in an amicable way and say, look, let's not be strident on process, but we need to be strident on several outcomes, and, and I'm glad that we're tracking in the same direction. I'll just add, you might have heard him reference two times some sort of behind-the-scenes thing there was before the Johnson uh, play was was made for McCarthy to come back into power. I'm not going to say Jordan was involved in this. I have no evidence. He might not have been. But McCarthy wanted to make an arrangement of having Jordan as, like, his assistant. So the idea would be to buy off, you know, a few of the original no votes with Jordan and then get back originally. And and Dan kind of hinted to the fact that that would have been the worst of all outcomes because ultimately you would have gotten McCarthy, but then disarming the right because you have some degree of Jordan and then you have the Trump interference and you know he I I was surprised he did reference there that you know when I was concerned about having one of our own who is not really one of our own and then we're you know we give him a lot of rope he's like it would have been worse with Jordan and I absolutely agree with that so I I think potentially this was the best outcome we could have gotten but if you're going to ask me Daniel right now do we have more leverage over him than we would have had at McCarthy at that point it's it's to be determined but it's our job to make it that that answer will ultimately work out to be yes. Um, be strategic about it. So we're going to be talking about this in the current in the coming days. Now is showtime. Okay, we could talk about you know who Mike Johnson is, and that's great. But ultimately, what matters is his willingness and ability to use that very interesting respect that he's gotten, and that there's something to be said about that to get the people who typically aren't comfortable with a fight to fight. You can't just be be abstract, principled conservative. You have to be willing to fight for it on the leverage points that matter and articulate it, and that's what we need to get from him. It's not like we have any other better choice at this point, so it is what it is. You know, I'd, I'd obviously support him at this point if I were in Congress. The vote's going to take place this evening. We'll see what happens on the other side. Send me your comments, questions, concerns, disagreement. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.